Hello, hello, hello. Okay. Well, I'm just going to, I got to start talking because I have just spent the last hour um, trying to figure out how to get this new microphone set up. The audio on this podcast versus the first two episodes is going to probably sound astronomically different. And the reason for that is that Tabor has like the Maserati of mics. I think I already talked about that, but like this and he took it to California. He had to go back to California for spring football. So like a tiny rundown of kind of our living situation. And because I can't remember if I talked about it when I uh, did a podcast with him. So we live in Michigan, in southeastern Michigan. Um, like that's our home base. We're both from the Ann Arbor area. Um, and we like went all over the place um, for a lot of years for football and Maybe I'll like actually go through that timeline because I think that might be interesting. You know what? It's great. I'll just do it right now. So Tabor and I met in high school. We didn't date until like way, way after high school, like after college. Um, we started dating in like winter 2017, um, like going into 2018. And I was living in Nashville. He was in Green Bay. And then he got cut from Green Bay. So then he moved back to Michigan, was literally living in his parents' basement. I was still in Nashville. We were long distance. We were jumping all around. I had been in the South for like a really long time, all through college. And then a few years after college, and was just ready to, I really needed a change. I got offered an amazing job at the University of Michigan. So I moved home, technically home. Um, back to Celine, which is just south of Ann Arbor. And um, we were both living with our parents and that was not going well um, for me at least. So I was like, I need, like, I need a space that's only mine. And so I bought a condo that was my favorite place I've ever lived by a landslide. Um, it's because it, it was really, I mean, super plain. Like it wasn't fancy by any means. It was really outdated. It was like from the seventies or eighties, but it was the first home that ever felt like mine. It was the first place that ever, ever felt peaceful and safe. And it was just, it was like my sanctuary. I loved that condo so much. And I've actually been so emotional about it the last couple of weeks because it is getting listed for sale like tomorrow maybe or in the next few days. Um, and it just feels like a huge chapter closing. But so I lived there, I moved into there fall 2018 and Tabor like kind of lived there for the most part he did, but he was going on a bunch of football tryouts because he hadn't been with the team since he was in Green Bay. Um, then signed with the Giants like late winter 2018, rolling into 2019. He then went to um, OTAs, which I still can't remember what it stands for. Organized team activities, I think. Off-season team activities. I still need to fact check that. It doesn't matter. Um, that's like the spring football program because I think a lot of people think that football season is literally only September through whenever the Super Bowl is, um, if you make it that far. If not, like whenever the end of the regular season is, so like mid January used to be early January, and now it's later. Football season is so so long now, um, but it's really kind of a year round sport, honestly, because they start spring stuff mid April. Um, that's what OTAs is. So he was in uh, New York with the Giants. Did I say Jets before? I can't remember. Okay, no, he was with the Giants. Spring twenty. 19. I was still in Ann Arbor. I traveled a lot for work. Um, 
And then he got home, you know, came home for like a month over the summer, but then went back to the Giants for camp, like July and August. And then at the end of camp, um, like right before Labor Day, I've already caught myself saying like so many times. I, I know that's going to be a thing. We're going to, I'm going to work on it, I swear. Um, so he got cut uh, at the end of camp, like the last day of camp. So throughout football camp, they make different, I think they go into camp. I'm going to give with way, way, way wrong numbers here, but like, I think they go in with like maybe a hundred people or something like that. Um, I think a better football wife would know these answers, but I don't. So, um, they go in with like a hundred guys and then throughout camp, they make cuts and then he made it all the way through the end of camp. He was kind of like competing for his spot. Um, he's a long snapper and the thing with their position is that they can play for a really long time because there's just not as much wear and tear on their body. So specialists can just play for longer. Um, like his, one of his very, very dear friends, he's means a lot to our family. Uh, Robbie Gould was the kicker, uh, with him in at the 49ers for the last three years, he has been playing for, I think 18 or 19 seasons. So like they can play a really, really long time. Um, but because of that, these spots are harder to come by because guys, once they get settled with the team and it's working on for both parties, they can play there for years and years and years. So he was, um, kind of competing, for this spot at the Giants with their, I think like seven or eight year vet, or maybe even longer than that. Um, and he ended up getting cut and they kept the vet, but he was a great, great guy. I think he and Tabor are still in touch a little bit. Um, and he learned so much from them, but and actually really loved being with the Giants. So he was released. He drove all the way home. I don't know. I guess. Yeah. I'm just going to tell this whole story. This is moderately interesting, I guess. So he drove all the way home. We had been, again, you know, long distance for, I mean, at this point, like going on two years, basically, um, bouncing around. I was still in Ann Arbor, like living in the condo. But like I said, I traveled for work a lot. So we were kind of shifts passing in the night a lot. Um, but he, I had just come off of a huge week at work. I was so exhausted. Uh, it was Friday afternoon. I had just put on this massive, like, I worked... Uh, no, I'm not going to say where I worked actually in the department I worked. But anyway, I had just done this huge event that I had spearheaded and it went really well, but I was so emotionally and physically, spiritually <laughs> exhausted and drained. And as I was pulling out of my office parking lot, he called me and said that he was getting cut and would be driving home. He drove home straight through that next day, all day Saturday. My best friend Matt and I, we just kind of hung out at the condo. We got things ready for him so he could get home. Um, and he got home at like midnight that night, Sunday morning, woke up, he unpacked, we went to brunch, just he and I, we grocery shopped and in thinking about all of this, he, that fall prior every other week or every two weeks, he was flying to a different tryout and that's all unpaid by the way. Like you don't get paid to go on football tryouts. It's all just, so it, it, having any sort of job was really, I mean, it's nearly impossible. If this is something you're really working at and you're someone like Tabor who does get calls a lot or did at the time, he got, he was getting calls from different teams to go work out or go try out for them. And you would have to drop everything at the drop of a hat and employers like wouldn't really go for that. Like that's just 
he was the definition of an unreliable employee. So um, he wasn't working and was kind of living off of the money that he had made with Green Bay. And it was just it was just a really unstable situation. But this was his dream. He was working hard to make it work. And, you know, that was weird. It just didn't seem that hard while we were in it. But looking back, I'm like, holy shit, that was really I don't, I mean, like, we weren't married. We weren't even engaged. Like, we were just kind of, I don't know. We were super young. I mean, this was five, six years ago at this point. It was five years ago. Um, so it just, I don't know. It it didn't seem that bad. I mean, it's definitely stressful, but we, it, it seemed low stakes at the time of, like, you know, we're, you've made it this far. He had already played. He had one accredited season at Green Bay. Um, unfortunately, got hurt. So then he got cut after he was on IR. Long story short, um, my point is that fall 2018, he did not play with the team at all. All he did all season was just work out with different teams. And so after he had this, honestly, like technically nine month stint with the Giants, even though he didn't play a regular season game for them, he was there for all of the spring program um, and all of camp. So the entire preseason program, he was with them. And then to get cut going into the fall, in September 1st, we both that Sunday were just like, holy shit, are we going to start this all over again? And it, I don't remember it being like a, a conscious conversation, but it was both definitely a, he and I were gearing up to kind of start that again. But we, like I said, we had grocery shopped, we went to lunch, we had a really great day. We walked the dog, we went to a park. Like we definitely, you know, spent quality time together for the first time in a really long time, I mean months, honestly. And it was a pretty good day. And we definitely didn't talk about football. Like, we definitely didn't talk about how, oh, we're going to keep, you know, how's this going to go? What's this going to look like? But we, I think we didn't expect, I know we didn't expect anything to happen, like, super quickly um, as far as, like, getting, like, having any teams reach out. And so we were sitting, we were at lunch in our, like, favorite, one of our favorite little areas in Ann Arbor with, a lot, like, a lot of stores and stuff. And um, Tabor's parents called him just to, like, check in and see where he was. And they happened to be at a restaurant, like, in the same little complex that we were at. So we went um, to see them and we sat down. And I will never forget, I was standing. His parents and his sister were sitting at a table. And I was standing like over him. They were all sitting down and I think I had gotten up to like get a drink or something. So I was standing over him and his phone was on silent, but I saw it light up and I saw his agent's name pop up and like, we know when she calls, like it's for a reason and it's not just to check in. So I saw his agent's name pop up and I didn't say anything because, because just for a minute I wanted it to not start again. Like just for a minute, I wanted to just live in this day for a little bit longer. And usually up until that point, he would be like the second Kelly calls, he'll, he'll answer. I mean, still obviously, but like he answers it. But for a minute, I was like, I kind of hope he doesn't see his phone's ringing because I just wanted to live in this calmness for just a couple more minutes. <laughs> um, but I think his sister saw the phone and he realized it was ringing. He answered and I just kind of sunk a little bit of realizing, okay, here we go. Here we go. And 
you know, everybody said, oh, my God, where are you going? Where are you going? And he pointed at the TV, um, and it was news coverage of a hurricane in Miami. And he was getting called to fly to Miami for a workout uh, because they had they either had cut their long snapper that morning or they knew they were going to. I can't really remember, and I don't know if that matters. But um, no, maybe I guess they hadn't had cut him yet. It doesn't matter. So typically on workouts, at least for his position, they'll call out multiple guys. Um, sometimes it's only one. Uh, I think he's only been somewhere one time where like he was the only one there and it wasn't really in its, it was like an emergency situation. Actually, I don't know. It doesn't matter. But for the most part, they call multiple people. Um, and he flew that night. So after this day, I mean, we literally had bags of groceries in the car that we were going to go home and like meal prep for the week. And we went home and he repacked a suitcase of all of the suitcase he suitcases he had unpacked that night the night before when he got home from driving nine hours home from Jersey and repacked a suitcase. Um, he didn't think he was staying there. So he really only packed typically when he would like have a go bag, which is what he called it. Typically he would pack, um, because when I say like he, he went on, I, I think like seven or eight tryouts that previous fall. Um, like this is the thing that he had kind of gotten used to. So typically he'd bring like, couple pairs of cleats and then like one outfit for a game like one like arrive at the stadium kind of outfit so um but I don't even think he did that actually because I think he was really assuming like oh this is just here we go we're gonna start this all over again so he packed a packed I think a pretty small bag um and I drove him to the airport we both cried because we couldn't believe this is happening this quickly and we had to gear up and I think the next day was labor day because I think I had work off. Um, it definitely was actually. Um, so yes, it definitely was. Uh, it was labor day. So I dropped him off at the airport and I went to sleep and I woke up and I slept in because I didn't have to work. This is actually incredible. I have a really shitty memory. Um, I've always had a shitty memory. I think it's childhood trauma, but I think I also participate in recreational activities that probably don't help. Um, anyway, so, uh, more on that later. So I slept in like later than I normally would. And I think I got up at like eight and I had a couple missed calls and then from him and I was like, oh, that's weird because usually these workouts are super, super early in the morning, like five 30, they have a car come pick them up. They do physicals and then they do the actual workout, which usually doesn't last that long. But by eight 30, I mean, he was done and I didn't. Like I had missed the calls and I looked at my text and I had text in green. Like, you know, when people have shitty service comes in, it's green text in green from him that said, I have horrible service here. Uh, but I got the job. They're offering me a two year deal. And I was like, Oh my God. It, that was the first, it was the second deal that he had been offered, but this was while we'd been together. But this was the first time, like it was during the regular season. Um, and knowing that he was about to play a regular season game for the first time in two years. So that day was, it started really, really happy and really exciting. And then it turned into, oh my God, now what do I do? What do I, do I quit my job? Do I go with him? Do I keep my job? 
well, it's a two year deal. Well, what do we do now? I mean, in I don't want to get into the whole story, but it was a really horrifically difficult next few months. Um, Tabor's not quiet about not loving his time at the Dolphins. Um, it was not a good fit for him. And I did end up leaving my job. Um, I worked remotely for them for a little while, but it was just not it. I thought we were living in Miami and he was signed to a two year deal. I was like, Oh, this is it. And they had cut their vet of like 10 years or something like that, like a really long time. So the writing was on the wall. So we thought to kind of be there for a little bit. Um, we learned the lesson quickly that that was not the case, but I moved down there and I had had a lot of personal issues going on at the time that I really, with family and things that I really, while I loved my condo, I felt really fulfilled in my job. I had really horrible imposter syndrome that I eventually got over, but I, like I was doing kind of like the thing that they tell you to do, like get, like find a job that will support you, you know, figure out how to buy a property and then you're an adult. Like I had done all those things and I was just like, but I was having this horrible wave of depression that was really kickstarted by a pretty horrible thing that happened within my family. And I really felt like I actually needed to get out of Ann Arbor, but I have a history of running, like physically getting up and leaving locations, like running when things get bad and get dark. And I'm kind of starting to dig into that and figure out why that is. But I have historically done that a lot. I, when things started to get dicey in Nashville, I left um, Huntsville when I was living in Alabama. I got the fuck out of there, um, which I will absolutely tell that story. But I need to uh, check with a couple things because I need to make sure I'm not going to get sued in the process of telling all of those stories. So I just have a history of like kind of getting out of Dodge when I feel like there's danger around me, either physical, spiritual, emotional. For this, it was emotional danger and I just needed to get out. Um, so I packed up the car, put my dog in the car, which we have done a million times, <laughs> me and Scout. And we drove to Miami. But for me, it, it definitely felt like I was running away from something in Ann Arbor. But it also felt really exciting. Like, I don't feel – I've heard about um, – I don't know if, like, this girl who I heard this from, like, coined this term or if this is just, like, a thing that's real, like, experience stretching, where it, sound, it's, it means exactly what it sounds like. Like, things that you thought were really amazing and, like, so, like, like – jaw dropping and so cool after you've done it a couple times like it's not as cool and then it like takes more to excite you I definitely feel that way in the NFL like even talking about this I haven't talked about this in a really long time like I remember that first phone call or phone call that I didn't answer I remember reading that text that he was getting signed after two years of fighting and of like trying I remember that excitement I felt and I, like, wish things, like, now that he is on his third or second contract extension, so third contract with the 49ers, not to say we were not over the moon excited, 
but it, it definitely, you feel it less because you start getting accustomed to really incredible things like that happening, which I actually think is a tragedy. I, I kind of hate that. Like I hate that like these really beautiful moments are starting to become second nature to where I don't think we're appreciating them as much. And I'm going to really work on that and making sure that we still take time to be exceedingly grateful for those things and remember what it felt like to be like dancing around the condo. I was so excited. I was so proud of him. And I was so like just the anticipation of what we were about to walk into. I, the whole time that we had been together, I mean, when he was with the Giants, like it was preseason. He was a new guy. It wasn't really like there's not really a lot of family things going on in the preseason really if at all it's really like once the final roster is announced that you I would say as a partner get to experience the perks of the NFL and um that like I was really looking forward to that and so that also is a huge part of why I wanted to I don't like to use the word follow I wanted to join him in Miami um, and leave Ann Arbor and like not do this here and there back and forth kind of thing because I wanted to be able to like join the girlfriends and the wives groups. I wanted to also on a side note, like I wanted to be able to like be with him during the week because, you know, we floated the idea of like, okay, what if I did just go for the weekends? Well, when you're going for the weekends, like I wouldn't see him because the players have to stay in a hotel, even for home games. The players have to stay in the team hotel the night before the game, and they have to report at like 5 or 6 p.m., and then I wouldn't see them all day Sunday, obviously, of the day of the game until after the game, and depending on what time it is, that could be at 10 o'clock at night. So if I were to leave work and fly to Miami, which I did for the first couple games, I would get there what midnight, Friday night, I would see them they have practice or they have like walkthroughs or meetings Saturday morning. I'd see him from like, I don't know, noon to four on a Saturday. And it like, it just, my point is it made absolutely no sense. And I wanted to, if I was going to like go to see him, I wanted to actually go to see him. Like I wouldn't want to fly to Miami just to sit at a football game and be there for 48 hours and only spend three of those hours with my partner. So that just didn't seem like that would make sense. So, uh, after many, 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 uh, conversations, tears, therapy appointments. I did decide to go with him to Miami and we were living in this tiny ass, like 650 square foot, not like it was a 650 square foot studio apartment. It was technically a one bedroom, but like it actually would have been more, a better use of space if it didn't even have a wall. Um, this apartment in Fort Lauderdale and we were like, trying to figure out where we were going to live after that. And then we decided we wanted to, we started hearing a lot about like buying properties and rental, having a rental property. And so we started looking at houses and my best friend in Florida was a realtor. And so we found this house that we thought was going to be a really good Airbnb. Um, so we bought this house. We had the plan to renovate it, thought we were going to be with the dolphins, whatever. So bought this house. Um, and it was really cool. I hated it. Tabor loved it. I liked it in the beginning, but it was just turned into be a money pit. But anyway, um, what we thought we were going to be there for at least another year. We have time, fix it up. We could keep it, rent it, whatever. Um, and we signed, <laughs> we closed on that house, uh, March 1st, 2020. 
And obviously, we all know what happened within the coming days after that. And then we were just in lockdown in this house that, thank God, thank God, we were out of that apartment. But hindsight, we know the right decision would have been to just repack the U-Haul that we had unpacked in Florida and put all of our shit back in the condo and just move back into the condo. But and we probably would have done that um, had he been on a one-year deal. But the fact that he was on a two-year deal, we thought he had a little bit of security. Um but then during the draft, the Lions, I almost said the Lions. Ooh, what a weird Freudian slip. The Dolphins, I don't know why I just did that. He's never even been with the Lions. Anyway, the Dolphins decided to draft a long snapper. Um, so he was cut. And we were like, well, now what the hell do we do? Because side note, I had been furloughed. No, was I furloughed? I guess I don't really know the legal definition of that but I was laid off I was laid off I was laid off during COVID just like you know everybody else was so we were both unemployed we had a mortgage uh we had a house that we had anticipated having the finances to renovate uh we were pretty much sitting ducks and like I think we both equally felt like we're fucked but we weren't really saying it out loud um long 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 story short we ended up deciding to list the house um we were going to list it anyway, but we got like kind of a kick in the ass to do it because, um, so like that whole summer of 2020, everything, all teams were like on total lockdown as far as bringing any new guys in for tryouts. So he was like, I mean, he was completely just like stuck. He was stuck in the mud. He couldn't go on any tryouts. He couldn't, I mean, I think they were talking to teams kind of, but it was just like, there was nothing to do. There's no progress to be made. Finally, uh, beginning of August, he started getting trials with teams. I think he went to Indy, maybe the Lions. No, I can't remember. It actually doesn't matter. But I think he went to three. He went to three different ones, um, and maybe four. But he had gone to he had gone to San Francisco, like once in early August, I think, and then um, went on a couple. Oh, Arizona. I think he went to Arizona. It literally doesn't matter. He went on a couple. Um, I think it was game two or three. We were sitting, we were watching, not we, I was not watching the game. He was watching the game. I don't really watch football for leisure, but. Actually, this is a point worth stopping on because I think clarifying this is going to make my personality make a little bit more sense. I don't like love football. Like I would never sit down and watch a football game for my own entertainment. Pre-Tabor, I gave negative 15 fucks about football. Post-Tabor, I have learned to appreciate it. And that's like an alarming thing to admit because I was crimson at the University of Alabama. I was surrounded by football all the time. I went to several national championships, but I'm what I like to call a fourth quarter fan. Like I get real excited in the fourth quarter when like there's some excitement and the cool stuff starts happening. But like I was just never that into it. My father-in-law, God bless him. He has told me many times, I'm going to give you a chalk talk and I'll kind of explain it. I... I get the gist. I get the gist. I'm just, I will support whatever team Tabor plays for forever. Obviously, I want them to succeed, but you know, it's just, it's just not my thing. I'll give you an example, actually. I remember when he was with Green Bay, we had just started dating, like just started dating. I bought a flight to go see him, and then with some time within the time between me buying the flight and the actual trip, he broke his foot. He was on IR. He wasn't even playing, but I went anyway because I wanted to see him. And I went to the game because he had to go to the game. But he's sitting in a suite 
in Lambeau with all the other guys who are hurt. And I am sitting in the stands in December in Green Bay watching a game that I could not give any less of a fuck about. And I was like, what am I? Why am I here? So I left in the second quarter. So that's just kind of what I'm saying. And by the way, I know for a fact I'm not the only partner of professional athletes who feels this way. I'm probably just one of the few who is going to say it out loud because it's an incredibly unlikable thing to admit. But my Super Bowl is the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills reunion, specifically the Girardi scandal season. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Like that. And this is a totally okay, understood, supported thing in my household. It does not mean I love my husband any less. It does not mean I support him any less. People tell me all the time if they find out what Tabor does and they, you know, they're like, oh, I'm sorry. I don't really know anything about football. I'm like, no, no, no. To be clear, I only know enough to get by and I only know what I do because it pays my mortgage. So that's just kind of like the situation that we're working with. Okay, moving on. He was watching the game. Um, I was like probably watching Bravo uh, and he came into the bedroom. They called him towards the end of, I mean, I don't even think the game was over and he already knew that he was uh, flying out to San Francisco the following morning. And I'm definitely like, I'm a person who I'm very spiritual. I believe in science. I believe in energy. And there was just something different. There was energetically, there was something different. He had been really, really, no, actually, you know, he might've even gone on four tryouts in like the span of like a week or not a week, like probably two or three weeks. This was still deep in the pandemic, y'all. Like, this was August 2020. Like, we were in, by the way, we were living in Miami, which was fucking hell. And the politics were gearing up. We had spent all summer protesting. It felt like it was just beyond. Um, And so he had been going on all these tryouts. And he called me, or he called his agent. And he was like, and she was completely supportive of this. He was like, I am done. Like, I... He, because he was just going on these tryouts with like no movement. And honestly, two of them, they didn't even sign anybody. They were just calling these guys in. And usually when you go for a tryout, you fly in, I don't know, let's say the tryouts on a Monday, you fly in Sunday night, you work out Monday morning, you're on a plane to come home by Monday afternoon. Well, during COVID, they had a quarantine for two or three days. So each tryout he was going on was like a four or five day ordeal, completely not a penny. He wasn't getting a penny for any of this. And it's also dangerous. Like he was flying all over the country, still in the middle of a pandemic. I remember that first, he hadn't flown yet. That first flight, I think it maybe was India or something. We, it was back when we were, people were wearing those like shields. Uh, we, Amazon prime shields to, with an 95 store on the plane. Cause I was like, Holy shit. Like this is so after multiple tryouts, he was like, this is getting ridiculous. So he called his agent was like, we, I, I want to ask for money to go on tryouts. And I don't know, teams might have laughed in his face at that point but it was there was an ethical argument there of like this is actually dangerous and it's taking a week to go on a tryout that they're not even going to sign anybody so my point is there was something like that seemed kind of energetically different like it was kind of becoming very difficult for him to like even get the energy to get on the plane um but this he was like excited and I think he was like he was really it just felt good. It felt different. And I could tell, and I was, I felt excited and I had not been excited for the last two. Um, <laughs> I wish he was here actually to tell the story. I remember the one before that. I think he was actually, I know it was, yeah, I think it was a Cardinals 
we had been day drinking with my best friend in Florida, Gabby. We had been day drinking with her and her parents for like, I mean, probably like 12 hours. Again, we were both unemployed. It's Miami. We have nothing to do. And so we just, I think we did a brunch that turned into happy hour that turned into, it was like 9.30 p.m. sitting on their deck, which we did every day because they lived on the water. <laughs> Kelly called and I don't even think Tabor, Tabor was six sheets to the wind. And he, then they booked him a flight for like, I swear to God, like 5.15 the following morning. He was fully drunk on the plane, fully drunk on the plane. Like, thank God he had a quarantine for a couple of days. Anyway, um, why did I, why was I talking about that? Okay. It doesn't matter. So he went and I think we both kind of just, I don't know. We both just had a good feeling and he called me and said, oh my God, they, I got the job. They're signing me. And, um, I thought about immediately, um, how kind of poetic it was that he did end up getting that job and even more so now that this is the team where he's really stuck uh, because he went on a workout to the 49ers um, like winter 2018 that fall that he was going on all of the workouts and that workout specifically was the first time at well backing up he found out that he they didn't sign anybody on the spot and he found out the next day on twitter that he did not get the position that they went with another guy um and it was the most visceral like physical reaction i've ever seen him have to that kind of news in the past and even now he's pretty level-headed when it comes to receiving any sort of no or he, he it's a business and he treats it like a business. He's very unemotional in things like that. And so, but this one, he was very emotional and it was, I can't even tell you six or seventh. No, he had gotten, um, over the course of a few months. And it was the first and only time still to this day where I have ever asked him if he's sure he wants to keep doing this. And I, I, I said, I remember we were both, we were both crying and we actually went to my mom's house and she was crying and it just felt really heavy of, you know, in this business, you have the highest of highs, but you have quite literally the lowest of lows where none of it makes sense. And, and you truly question why, why are we even doing this? And it's the first time, like I said, and still to this day, the only time where I've ever said to him, are you sure you want to do this? Not because it's difficult on me or it's, it's unpredictable. It's hard. It, it was solely because human beings should not have to experience this kind of disappointment again and again and again. At some point it is going to start affecting your psyche because it's just a lot of disappointment. And I was getting to the point of where I was worried that it was, it was going to start affecting him in his day-to-day life. But, um, you know, obviously the next few years happened the way they did, but I've always thought that it's really interesting that, that it happened to just be with the 49ers that he, it was a first tryout. It's still kind of one of the only tryouts where I've ever seen him have a very raw response to any sort of no that he was given. 
Um, and I think it made the yes that he got fall 2020 that much sweeter. So anyway, he went to San Francisco, but then I was left with this house in Miami with two damn dogs. Because in the meantime, also during COVID, Tabor thought he was buying like the Cadillac of German Shepherds that who is a, um, how shall I say? He thought he was buying basically like a canine unit who is perfectly trained, can speak six languages, um, can like rescue children from burning buildings. You know what I mean? So Hogan's not that, um, he got like catfished basically. He is, he's smart, but he's like a domestic house cat. He is just, he's such, I, I call him donkey from Shrek because he's just like, he's the sweetest boy and he would never hurt a fly, but he's just not what Tabor thought he was getting, but he's really smart and he can do some tricks. But anyway, so I'm stuck in Miami, <sighs> stuck. I'm in Miami in this house with the dogs and I was like, what the hell am I doing? So um, I called my girlfriend and I was like, you know what? I think we should list the house. We listed the house and I, what did you do, Haley? I would love to tell you. I'm so glad you asked. I moved back in with my mother, her new puppy and her four cats. One of them's technically mine, but that's a story for a different day. Uh, yeah, I called my mom and I said, listen, I had tenants. I couldn't move back into the condo in Ann Arbor because we, it became a rental property. We got tenants in it during COVID. I couldn't kick them out didn't want to get sued. Da, da, da. Um, so I called my mom and I said, Hey, uh, this will be the fourth time in my adult life. I will need to move back into your house, but I'm going to need to move back into your house indefinitely. And I did. And I swear to God, it's the best my mom and I have ever cohabitated ever at that point in my, up until my, like throughout my 28 years at that time on this earth, it's the best we got along. It was the most fun we had. It was the most we had laughed. It was actually so great. Um, and we just, yeah, I actually left Hogan in Florida with the dog trainer because I just like, he, it was not going to work with the cats. Um, and, but yeah, so that was like, I think like Halloween. Um, I moved back up to Michigan, lived in my childhood bedroom uh, for, I would say about a three weeks. And then I decided, you know what, this is not like a long-term plan. We've got to figure out what we did. We sold the Miami house so fast, which, which I think, I mean, I don't think that's like the house is so fast these days. So, but we did, we sold it fast. And I was like, you know what, I can't live in my childhood bedroom forever. <laughs> this house is not big enough for three adults because football season was ending in about a month. And I was getting a facial and my facialist, her, like one of her besties was the client before me. And he happened to be a realtor. We started chit-chatting and he was like, are you looking to buy? I was like, sure. <laughs> so he sent me a couple properties that night. He sent me two listings. I, the first one I said, I'm going to see that one tomorrow. And it was a new build. It was a spec home. And that's our house. I looked at one home. I didn't even look at the other ones. I was like, no, I think I want to live there. And I saw it. It had everything I possibly could have asked for. I was sold by the bathtub, obviously. Uh, the closet was a close second. Ooh, we're doing a big closet renovation in two weeks. I am euphoric over this closet situation. Um, yeah, I'm so excited. Anyway, 
So I looked at one home. I broke the rule that, you know, everybody says, don't buy the first house you saw. No, I bought it. And I literally called Tabor. I said, I'm putting an offer on this house. Uh, You can have an opinion, but this is where I live now. So (laughs) I'm going to need, I'm going to need like your tax forms and everything because I, I am putting on an offer on this house this afternoon and if you'd like to be on the deed, uh, I'm going to need a couple documents because this is, again, this is where I live. You are free to comment on it, but I have made this decision. And he said, cool. So um, that's kind of the story of that. But I don't know how, I can't believe uh, this turned into a 40-minute ordeal of how I got to where we are. I can't, I literally can't remember why I started talking about this. I have, by the way, I have a whole outline for this episode and it was not about this. It was about, it was about parenting. (laughs) Uh, I guess that'll be episode four. So anyway, um, that's how we got to where we are. I think I started talking about this because Tabor and I have been long distance for really most of our relationship. I followed him again, followed, joined him, whatever to Miami to be able to actually see what it would be like for us to be in the same place at the same time and actually like exist in this lifestyle of football. And I'm going to be honest, it really didn't work for us. Um, me being out there full time, I didn't realize until I left my very respected job here in Michigan, um, at the university, I didn't realize how much I valued my career until I left it to support someone else's. And I think that can potentially be a controversial thing to say, but it was something that we really struggled with. And I held a lot of, I don't want to use the word resentment because I think that's powerful. I held a lot of animosity towards him. Um, and we just didn't realize it was something that I held so deeply as a value. Um, and this is something that actually we've been very communicative about throughout our entire relationship. I, because I remember the first time it ever came up, we'd only been dating for a few months. He was talking about a buddy whose girlfriend was kind of like, he put it in, he, he was saying it in a way it, like she was complaining, um, that nobody really asks her about her anymore because her boyfriend who plays football is really the sole focus most of the time. And I stopped him and I said, I don't know who this girl is, but she gets a pass for that because you have no idea how difficult this is. And my example at that time was nobody gives a shit what my job is. And nobody still, for the most part, gives a shit what my job is or was. People don't really ask about me because no matter what I do, as long as he's playing football and even after he's retired, no matter what I do, it will always be less interesting than what he's doing. And for someone like me who historically has been very high achieving, that is a little bit of a mind fuck. At first, it was nice to kind of take a backseat to someone else's success. But in the grand scheme of things, it's difficult when it feels like no matter what I'm doing, I will always be moderately less important because of the sheer nature of his job. And I know for a fact, I am not alone in feeling this way. This is a very common, uh, I don't want to say issue, but this is a common conversation 
within professional sports and I have to imagine other industries as well when there's kind of a clear power difference and I don't mean power in the sense of like a like a patriarchal dominance thing more of like a power of a a recognizability of what one person does versus the other and if you are too high achieving people this can be a source of tension and that's why I'm glad that it's always been something that is front of mind that we've always been really cognizant of because I do think it has potential to cause issues by the grace of God and <laughs> my boss <laughs> uh, at the university, I after the whole COVID fiasco, I moved home to Michigan. Um, I actually was working for a different company remotely. Uh, my boss, like I happened to mention, because we had stayed in touch, I happened to mention that I was back in the area. We bought a house. This was going to be home-based because even like going back to, I think, how I even started this whole story. I would say the vast majority of players in the NFL have what we kind of affectionately know as home base, meaning we live here in the off season. Your family lives here. Your kids are raised here in, you know, an area. And then during football season, you all go to the area that you play football. The reason for that is because of what happened in Miami. These contracts mean nothing. He was on a two-year contract. Well, they decided they wanted to draft somebody. So see ya. Like you're gone. So it's so volatile, this business that picking up and moving your entire family, God forbid you get hurt, which unfortunately happens constantly, or someone changes their mind and then your whole world is just kind of fucked. So we never wanted to make, we never wanted to make a risky decision like that ever again. Um, so we decided we were going to have a home base and we will always just travel to wherever you are. Ironically, we made this decision and he is now going into his fourth season with the 49ers and he is very, as we feel at this point right now, he feels very comfortable. And so this would make, I mean, I even the other day, he was gearing up to leave. He was packing and we do live in Michigan. It's a four and a half hour flight. It is long. It's, it's a three hour time change. It's really challenging having a baby. I flew back and forth like eight times with her. Um, I think I like blacked out for months. I don't know how the hell I did. I, I honestly don't even know how the hell I did it. I don't think I could, I swear to God, like if you told me I had to do it tomorrow, I'd be like, no, like Lillian, you can do it. Or sorry. <laughs> go for it. I can't, I don't know how the hell I did it in the fall with like basically a newborn, but, um, it's really hard. And I had a meltdown the other day. I was like, why are we doing this? Why? Like she's now she's getting like, she's so uh, like, I don't know if you those, one of those people who brags about my kid, but like, she's so smart and she's so observant. And I'm like, she recognizes him now when we FaceTime, whereas in the fall, like they're blood, they're kind of like in that like earthworm stage. Like they don't really know what's going on, but now she's so she understands things. And I freaked out. I'm like, she's going to know that you're gone. Like where, why are we doing this? Should we just move there? Should we sell this house? Why are we paying this fucking astronomical rent in California? And then also our house here, like this doesn't make sense. And we literally walked through this story of why that didn't work for us. And in the middle of all of this, like I said, or started because I don't know how to keep a thought on its track. I did get my job back when we bought the house here. I, my boss was like, 
we have a position, like your position is open again. Do you want to interview again? And I did. And I was like, yes, because I deeply, deeply regretted leaving that job. And that kind of felt like the universe was correcting itself a little bit and like getting that second chance. I feel like so rarely do opportunities like that happen where you can genuinely refer reverse a decision um, with really the only repercussion was like I was I had kind of set myself back on like any sort of promotional track but like that didn't even really matter in the end so like I really felt like the universe was throwing me a bone of like okay we're gonna give you this back because I really really felt like I had fucked up um so I did I was back in my exact same job I felt like I I felt seasoned. I felt like I knew what I was doing. I was like kind of cruising. Like I felt like it was like smooth sailing a little bit. We were in the middle in, in all this, by the way, we got engaged at some point in the story. And I was like, we gotta, we gotta get married because I'm going to want to have a baby soon. I feel like we should just get married, but I don't feel like planning a wedding. And so my best friend, Matt, his sister is wedding planner. She planned the whole thing. It was amazing. We did it at our house. Um, now like we got married in our backyard. It was fantastic. Um, but again, going back to what I was saying, I had this meltdown the other day of like, why are we doing this? Why do we live this way? And like, we walked back this entire saga, walked back this entire thing. And we were like, no, if we sold our house now and we moved out to California, I would be, I would wake up every day petrified that he was going to tear an ACL or he was going to dislocate his shoulder or he was going to or someone in some office somewhere, the wind blew wrong that day and he was just going to cut him for God knows what reason. Like it, there's no guarantees and to have any sort of a security blanket, you have to do what works. I know this is so, oh my God, I hate myself for saying this already. This is so cheesy. There's no playbook in this business. You have to do what works for you and you have to vehemently ignore the rest because everyone has an opinion. Everyone's going to do something differently and you're going to feel judged. I feel judged incessantly by the fact that I don't live out there full time with him because again, with this job, I traveled a lot still, or at least last fall, I traveled a little bit and I, two falls ago, I guess. So that was fall 2021. I know the times with all this has gotten really confusing, but I, I, there, I have too many, I have too many numbers in my head. I don't give a shit. It really doesn't matter. But I, Like I said, I realized in leaving my job and going to Miami and being like literally a full-time football wife, which is what I thought I wanted at the time. And that's the thing. I learned so much about myself in the last few years that like, I actually don't like being a full-time, to use a colloquial term, I don't like being the full-time wag. Um, It's not my thing. It's just not my thing. Um, I support my husband tenfold. His dreams are my dreams. We could not, I, I, I am his biggest fan and I will forever be other than his daughter. But there are parts of this business that I struggle with. And I don't think that's really a secret. Like I'm not saying anything groundbreaking, but there are parts of this business that I struggle with. And We live the way that works for us. And for us, at least last fall, in the fall before that, especially, um, I was here in Michigan a lot of the time, um, especially, you know, fall 2021 season, I 
went out there for, you know, a couple of weeks and then I was back home for a couple of weeks. Again, I had a full-time job. So my boss was, I was hybrid. I wasn't fully remote. So my boss was wonderful, but he even let me, um, or my department let me, the school I worked for really, um, because it was a pretty small unit, let me be really flexible in where I was working from. And the time zone thing was challenging. Um, so that was hard, but we made it work. Um, and then at some point in that season, during that season, I got pregnant and I had a violent pregnancy as far as how sick I was, how I had perinatal depression. It was really awful. And so that kind of took flying off the table. Um, so we, I didn't go out there a lot. And so sometimes I regret not, I mean, his first season was COVID. So like I couldn't meet anybody, but then that second season when I was pregnant, I, and then also had to work, I wasn't really able to like foster relationships and friendships. So I kind of felt like an outsider for a long time. And then this past season with the baby, I still was going back and forth a lot. And really the reason for that is that we had this Airbnb out there that just wasn't that comfortable. Um, it was big enough, but it was like, it was other people's furniture. It was really old and musty and dusty and it wasn't in the greatest area. And I just felt more comfortable at home. My mom is here. I mean, having an infant and having my mom here and having our neighbors who are our closest friends and like, that's my support system. And again, I can't stress this enough when I'm in California during season, like the guys are not around. They're not around. He would leave at 8am or before that he'd leave at 730. He would get home at five and that's on a good day. And then she goes to bed at seven. So it's like, yes, they could spend time together, but like not really. And then the weekends are fucked because they're again in the hotel or if it's an away game, sometimes they're gone for three to five days, depending on where they're playing, what time zone they're playing. And if they're playing on the East coast, they're gone for days and days. Sometimes they're even gone for 10 days if it's two back to back East coast. So I think that's the part that, but, so I feel like we didn't miss out on a lot of quality time um, because I did go for a lot of home games. I think I was actually at most of the home games, Um, but I definitely missed out in the last three years on fostering relationships with the other women. And that's something that I'm really trying to prioritize, at least going into this season. And this season we got for the first time, a pretty stable (laughs) living situation. Um, we have a new rental house in like South Santa Clara area. It's really, it's nice. It's, we're actually buying furniture because, you know, however long he plays, we're like, okay, even if you leave the 49ers in the next couple of years or something happens, no matter what happened, like, okay, fine. We can have this furniture be the football furniture and we'll just put it in a pod and we'll do whatever. Um, because we've been really, we've been living really, really inconsistently as far as like our life out there versus our life here is so secure and so stable. Um, we felt like it was definitely time to get something a little bit more stable out there. So we did. Uh, so with that said, I'll definitely be spending more time in California in the fall. However, I'm making a commitment for the rest of the time that he's playing football. I will always be in Michigan for the whole month of October Um, because it's my favorite place in the world is just the Midwest in the fall or Michigan in October with the leaves. And I am, I identify as like witch core. Um, You know, there's like cottage core. Like I'm like, uh, practical magic core. So 
I decorate my whole house. I throw a big Halloween party every year called Haleyween. It's just my thing. Like to the nines. That fills my cup for like the whole year. Um, so I will be in Michigan in October. But other than that, I'm really going to try to find a community in California, um, whether it's with football families or not. Um, that's definitely something that I was struggling with and not feeling like I had a good support system out there because I had felt a little isolated. So, um, maybe if anybody wants to hold me accountable to doing that, that would be great. I've been talking for almost an hour about something that I did not intend to talk about at all. So I'm trying to decide if I should wrap this up. Um, yeah. So Tabor's in California now. (laughs) So OTAs have started all over again. Um, they go from like mid April till like mid June. I mean, I'm going to have to go back and listen to this because I don't remember how I even started talking about all this. Um, because what I think I was trying to talk about was like, I don't know, me ending up as a stay at home mom because in the process of like, I was working and when I had the baby, I went on uh, maternity leave like May early May, I think, no, early June. Um, she was born middle of June. So I went on maternity leave. I had three months off. Um, luckily I had three months off because maternal and paternal leave in the United States is abysmal conversation for a different day. So I was lucky to have three months off. Um, and I was planning to, figure something out of like, okay, how do we go? How do I spend time in California? How do I spend time here? I'm still technically hybrid. I'm still supposed to be in person. Sometimes am I going to have to hire a full-time nanny? Let's try the au pair route. Like what do I do? Um, and I had quit my job to accommodate the football lifestyle before. And that didn't feel super great. Uh, to think that that might be happening again. But this time, obviously there was a child involved and like, this is going to be how, okay, like on a philosophical level, on a fundamental level, like what do we want the next five years to look like? Not just like the next couple seasons. Like, what do we want? Do we want me to be a stay at home mom? Do I want to be a stay at home mom? Do I want to work? Do I value that? And obviously I do, um, a lot actually. And so I, and I've talked to uh, one of my friends whose husband plays for the Lions. We met really like in the wild, which was, it's like very crazy. We met at a Pilates class and we just like, someone had mentioned Tabor and she was like, wait, like my husband plays for the Lions. I was like, what? And it was very, we, and now we were very, very good friends. She's driving here in a couple days actually, um, uh, to stay for like a day. So, um, Anyway, we talk about this a lot because she was, she also had a full-time job and she had held on to her full-time job. And we questioned constantly, like, is this justifiable? And she, she's pregnant right now, but even pre-babies, like we would talk about this all the time. Like, why are we doing this? Like, why are we fighting this tooth and nail to like hold on to this thing that is it causing more stress? Would it be easier if we didn't work? Like, would it, but again, there's no rules. Everyone, everyone, nobody take this as my opinion, my advice, nothing. Like I'm telling you, do literally whatever the fuck works for you, your family, full stop. Like don't, please. But it's something that I really, really struggled with because 
I apparently found a lot of personal satisfaction, a lot of, um, I just valued it a lot. It was a huge part of my identity. I think that's the word I'm looking for. It was a huge part of my identity. Um, having this job that I feel like I worked really hard to get. It was the first time in my adult life that I felt like I was doing something that I was really respected for. It was the first time in my life that I felt like I was doing something that I was actually good at. Um, and I was really terrified to let it go because I had regretted letting it go initially uh, the first time I did. So, but, uh, I mean, this is the argument that everybody's making, right? No matter if you play in the NFL or if you're an accountant or any or a teacher or a lawyer or anything, literally anything, we're all doing the same thing where we're trying to justify the fucking cost of childcare. We're trying to justify this cost of childcare. And it's so astronomical. And then you add in being in Northern California, which is like unspeakable. It's so expensive. I, we, I, I could not, as much as I love my job, I could not justify any, any. I couldn't. I was this, I'm technically a state employee. I, 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 it was unjustifiable. And I know a lot of people feel that way. And I'm blessed that I didn't have to stay in that job for the benefits that Tabor has great benefits through the NFL. But then there's the fear of that. Well, what if, and I know I'm getting really, I'm stepping in hot, like potentially like dicey waters here, but just hear me out and give me a little bit of grace for being clunky and talking about this because I, you know, yes, we're lucky that the NFL has great benefits, but again, what if he gets hurt? I don't, it's contractually complicated of like how long you have health care if you get cut. It's not guaranteed in your contract forever. You know, those contracts, again, there's some guaranteed money, but the contracts themselves are not guaranteed. I know this is getting really confusing, but my point is it just, I, I was lucky that we felt comfortable that like I didn't have to stay in it for the benefits, but then, okay, well, what if when you're done playing football, what if I want to go back to this? But again, we're jumping back and forth. I could get really technical with the decision-making process in this, but in conclusion, <laughs> I did decide to leave my full-time job and I am still working part-time in a different department at the university. Um, and it's a lot, uh, even the stuff that I'm doing right now, I'm hardly working at all. And it still feels like a lot because I, up until literally two weeks ago, we had a sitter, uh, we have a sitter in California who's also amazing, but I'm not there that much. So when I'm here, I didn't have any help here in Michigan at all. My mom would come for like on a Sunday afternoon, she'd wash for a couple hours so I could rest, but like she still works full time. And, you know, my neighbors are helpful. They'd wash her for a couple hours a week, you know, every couple of weeks when I, and when I felt like I was desperate enough to ask. And I do feel like I was good at asking for help, but it still feels hard when it's like a friend, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's hard. It's hard when you don't have like built in help almost. And, um, it took, uh, it took 10 months of me being clinically burnt out. And so I was on autopilot. I felt like I, my best friend Matt this morning said, like, 
in my I'm like in conditioning right now I had to like recondition myself to solo parent after Tabor, Tabor left because I forgot how insurmountably difficult the fall was um when I had you know three four month old and it was all me all day all night thank god she's an incredible sleeper because I sleep trained um conversation for a different day but she's a great sleeper so like thank god she started sleeping through the night at like five months so like at least I was getting good rest at night but up until then I was up every two to three hours with her round the clock I was dangerously tired um and there was actually one time in like early September where my neighbors had like a little bit of an intervention and they're like we think for safety we need to take her because I literally he left I was still on maternity leave he left July 22nd um she was five and a half weeks old he left July 22nd and my mom took him to the airport to leave for camp at like 6 a.m on a Sunday and camp started Monday that next day and that Sunday I started being a solo parent and I didn't have I just didn't have help. And I know a lot of people don't have help. And I'm not asking for sympathy. Like, at all, like that's not what this is about. I'm just trying to give context. Um, and I should have done this sooner. And there's a reason why I didn't hire someone, hire help, or find a sitter here in Michigan until just about three weeks ago. And... It's because it never really crossed my mind as being an option because the whole reason I left my job in the first place and left my stay-at-home or left my full-time job to be a stay-at-home mom is because with my salary, it was unjustifiable to hire a nanny or to put her in daycare. That that was a – I was like way in the red. That math did not math. You know what I mean? Like it – so me being a stay-at-home mom and then also hiring help was never even discussed as an option because I think I grossly underestimated how difficult solo parenting was. And I also didn't understand until recently that if you don't have a village, it's okay to pay for your village. My mom isn't retired yet. She still works. My in-laws live far away. My neighbors help when they can, but they have their own lives. We don't really have, like, we don't have a village built in and that whole, that, you know, common phrase, it takes a village to raise children. Okay, well, villages don't really exist anymore because we've evolved to a place where we are no longer raising children and parenting in the way in which the human race was designed to do so. We, we were not supposed to parent this way. That's why moms spend so much time on TikTok. It's because we're also fucking lonely and we just want to see other people doing the exact same thing that we're doing, which is for the most part, nothing. And we're craving community. We're craving the village that we were designed to have, but for some reason has completely dissipated to the point of where we are living in a way that is not even remotely sustainable. And that's how I was living. I didn't understand that I wasn't supposed to do this on my own. Human beings are not supposed to do this on your own. And I, the, I, I can't even touch on the single moms of it all because I am beyond privilege. That goes without saying that I don't have to worry about the financial component. And I can, that's why I call it solo parenting, not single parenting, because there is a vast difference. I was raised by a single parent. It's not the same. But 
all day, every day was not sustainable. And my child was getting a version of me that was at the end of the day, after several months of living the way that we were both living, I was doing the bare minimum. She deserved better. And we are all humaning better with Lillian downstairs in her playroom. So that's why it took me longer than I would have liked to reach the conclusion uh, that we now have. I had some intense work to do um, personally because I have learned I get like a big ass dopamine hit whenever someone asks me what I do and I would respond and they would be impressed. And I know that that sounds really unlikable and douchey. I know that, but it's true. When I, when someone would ask me what I did and I said it and it seemed impressive to them, my brain lit up and letting go of that is very, very hard. And I'm just being honest. Letting go of that is really hard. And I still, again, like I said, I still work part-time. And even my part-time title, I think, kind of elicits that reaction sometimes. And I swear to God, as difficult as it is, and as kind of like tedious as this work is, I'm probably never going to stop doing it because that part of my brain like craves that personal success and independence that I'm holding on to that even though it doesn't mean anything to like somebody else, like maybe I, there's, maybe there's women or other moms who think that this is selfish and think that this is, um, like I'm holding on to this thing that is me, but like to me, I don't know. I, uh, I don't know. Maybe even saying all oh, this is like really unlikable and not, <laughs> I don't know. I might regret this, but I'm just being honest. Like that's, I, I swear to God, I, I really think that I like hold on to this work because I like crave that feeling of success by the world standards or by even our country's standards. And is that like learned bullshit that isn't real and doesn't matter? Probably. But like, do I even want to deconstruct that? That sounds exhausting. So (laughs) moral of the story, I still have a part-time job. And, um, but in doing that, and then also being a solo parent for most of the time, I think maybe that's why I spent so much time on social media. And I, one day in January said, you know what? I see these day in lives all the time on TikTok. I think I'm going to film that. And I just filmed my day as a stay-at-home mom. I need to take a sip of LaCroix. Hold, please. It's warm. God damn it. Um, That means I've been talking too long. I got to wrap this up. I just filmed myself um, showing what I did when I woke up, the way I made my coffee, the way I made a bottle, that I put her down for a nap. I woke her up from a nap. I put her down for a nap. I woke her up from a nap. I unboxed 17 Target packages because I couldn't get more basic. Um, Nobody watched it. 
And then I did it like two more times. And then I was on like, I think it was like my 11th flight of the season. It was, I think it was like my 11th flight with an infant in like three months. And I was like, oh, this I think might be interesting. And I had gathered a lot of tips. Like if I think back to my first flight that I took with Rue by myself, I'm like mortified at what I did like when she was a tiny baby and I was flying because now, I mean, by that flight in January that I was like, I think I'm going to film me doing this. I literally did it with my eyes closed. It was all, it was autopilot. And so that's why I was like, I think people are so afraid to travel with their kids because they think they need all the shit. And my biggest, biggest tip, my biggest piece of philosophy of like really just like children in general. And I know people who are listening to this are like, you have an infant. You're never going to understand when you have a toddler, you're going to throw that out the window. You're going to eat all the shit. Okay. No, I swear to God. If, okay, fine. I, I will come back in two years when she's a to- when she's like a full ass toddler and eat my words if I need to. But right now I am saying with 100% conviction, babies don't need that much shit. Babies hardly need anything. You want to know what babies need? Food, whether it comes from your tit or a formula can, they need diapers. I can guarantee you they need diapers because that one I did fuck up. They need diapers and they need to be warm. That's it. That's all babies need. Okay. The amount of water bottles that have kept Rue occupied for hours on end at 10,000 feet. My point is I just felt like the, like I had some things to share that would be moderately helpful to people. And it took me four days to edit it because I didn't know what I was doing with TikTok still. It took me four days to get this whole day's worth of travel clips. And <clears throat> I hit post like a week later, like a week after that flight had happened because I kind of forgot about it. Um, and again, it was taking me so long to edit it, but I hit post at like midnight on a Friday night. And as the kids say, I caught the algorithm and it went, it caught on fire. And my mom called me on Sunday morning and said, do you know that your TikTok has like a hundred thousand views or something? And I was like, yeah, I kind of thought that would happen. Like I didn't, I just kind of thought that would happen because I think there's such intrigue in the families of professional sports. And I don't know if it's an American thing, but then like, I remember there was that show Wags and it's just like, I get that there's intrigue here, but I also am like floored at the like misconceptions. <laughs> like I don't know. I just think there's a lot of intrigue here. And then like the whole traveling alone with the baby thing is like very like touchy and I I I I think I know why my TikTok has taken off and from that by the way I had like maybe 500 followers and the only reason I had that many is because uh this is not the first time I've gone viral on TikTok I went viral on TikTok uh fall 2020 from a video of my cat at my mom's house anyway so that got me like I don't know a good five six hundred I currently have 53,000 followers and it's from that one video. And I think it's because I caught people who are interested in sports. So a lot of men, I caught men, I caught moms, I caught people who are interested in travel, and I also caught trolls 
who like to troll people who are doing things that they could potentially talk shit about, whether that's traveling with an infant, fucking formula feeding. You know what I mean? Like, I think I just caught a lot of different groups of people and it has created this like ecosystem that is now my accidental mommy blogger era. So literally to circle back to what I was talking about within the first five minutes of this, social media is addicting. I feel strongly that in five years is like a stretch, maybe like 10 to 15 years, there will be rehabs for cell phones. I firmly, firmly believe this because it's constant dopamine. We just, it's like we, I, I, you guys, I get how this is so addicting. I get how being a content creator is like this vortex of like Tabor calls it crowdsourcing your self-esteem all of social media is all of social media is crowdsourcing your self-esteem everyone does it to a different extent like to uh, at different levels but I get why being a content creator or being an influencer I get why you get sucked in so quickly I had one video pop off to speak like my husband I had one video pop off And then I'm like, oh, well, now what do I do? What do I do next? How can I get that? Because it is, I mean, there were people who were like, you know, calling me like a troll and like uh, telling me I look like a horse and like, you know, fucking just like losers, right? By the way, don't get me wrong, super hurt my feelings and like beyond triggering, the definition of triggering. But um, I... There were also people who were telling me, you're a great mom. You're doing great. You're doing awesome. It it is a little validating because previously I was sitting at home playing with this infant, trying to like, you know, do all of the right things. I, I have a background in human development. So I'm like obsessed with making sure she's hitting the milestones and making sure that she's like, I'm doing everything right all the time. And it's just like so deeply exhausting to try to be doing everything right all the time. And it like, again, I was clinically burnt out because I was just trying to do this all day long, do everything right and not miss stuff at all, which is incredibly impossible by the way. But having strangers tell me I was doing a good job. I mean, like it did kind of help. It did kind of help. So I just get it. I get why this is addicting. I get why like, and topic for a different day. The whole kids online thing, I will say I did post like the one video, um, the one that blew up had Rue's face in it. And then there was another one that I made when Tabor, um, this is how I knew that I caught the sports people in with the mommy bloggers. I made a TikTok of Tabor signing his new contract with 49ers. And it also went a lot of places and Rue was in that one. And I hadn't really thought about it yet. Cause like, I don't have an Instagram following like at all. Like I have a couple thousand followers that I've like, I feel like I've had the same number since college, but like, um, I hadn't really thought about it. I hadn't ever needed to think about it. I'll put it that way. I hadn't ever needed to think about the actual reach that posting your kids online can have and what you're walking into until that video um, of him signing his contract because the NFL actually took it. The NFL posted it on their Instagram. 
And I like was very naive to know how the internet worked, (laughs) to be honest. Like I didn't understand that people could just take your videos, like, like reputable accounts. You know what I mean? I didn't know that like reputable accounts could or would just take your video without telling you or without asking and then could post it. And the NFL has like 30 million followers. And all of a sudden my child was on that. And I was like, Ooh, I do not like that. And, uh, Tabor agreed and he reached out to the social media team and asked them to take it down. And they did. And they were totally cool about it. But I learned a lesson of, Oh, okay. I'm not comfortable with having my kids online. And I don't want to seem judgy about this because everybody's making their own decisions, truly to each their own. But I really think it's something that needs a second thought. If you have any sort of a following, um, I just ended up following this account on Instagram that really dives into this. And I'm going to, I'm going to be totally honest. I, like I said, I get why this is addicting. I get why being a content creator is, it, it is all a dopamine hit. We are all craving the likes. We're craving the followers. I literally had a, I had made this decision. You know what? Rue's going to be, you know, the side of her face. That's fine. She's in the background, something super unimportant. Like that's, I'm not going to be like crazy, crazy about it, but no more videos of like her full, like, like, you know, I'm just going to be very cautious is what I'm saying. Um, but like she did something cute as fuck the other day. And I was like, I'm like, if I put this on the internet, cause I see babies of, or videos of babies on TikTok all the, all the time. I have millions and millions and millions of views and millions of likes. She did something so funny. I was like, oh my God, I could get a million something likes, follows, whatever from this. Even I had that thought. I am super like aware of all of this and I have been doing this. I have been, again, on accident, a mommy blogger, essentially, for like five minutes. And I give zero fucks about this. And even I had that thought of, oh, if I posted this, I could get it. It was a fleeting thought and I caught it and I immediately was like, what in God's name? So my point is, if even I can have a thought like that, that I wouldn't have acted on. But my point is, it is so addicting. It is so addicting (laughs) because it's crowdsourced self-esteem. We have these, we have people who are telling, they're giving us validation. They're telling us we're doing great. They're telling us we're a good mom. They're telling us our kid is thriving. Yes, there's a handful of people who like tell me I'm a piece of shit and like that I'm ugly and they can't believe I, you know, I'm an NFL wife. I get that all the time on my TikTok, by the way. You're an NFL wife. Why? Because I'm like, why? Why? I would let, what do you mean by that, Kyle? I'm just kidding. Tabor's coach's name is Kyle and a teammate's name, Kyle. We like Kyle's. I'm sorry. I'm not offending any Kyle's, but my point is, I don't know if I want to keep talking about this. Um, yeah, I will. Really quickly. I need another sip. Hold on. <clears throat> All right. One more thing, and then I'm going to quit talking, and I'm going to go to bed. Um, I find, I found the whole TikTok thing to be really triggering because I was 
I think I talked about this in the first episode. I was Miss Michigan in 2013. When I was Miss Michigan, a thing called uh, message boards existed, which, by the way, is basically Reddit. People on the internet, it's all anonymous. Well, I experienced this when I was Miss Michigan. There's things called message boards, and people would talk shit about Miss America contestants, and it was all anonymous, and it was just vicious, and it was literally like cyberbullying to the max, which obviously has gotten 10,000 times worse in the last decade, which is insane because I feel like I spent all my time back then bitching about it then and saying how bad it was and how awful, like, and it's only on worse, obviously. But um, I was ripped apart. I was called every name in the book about my physical appearance. I, at the time, was dealing with a debilitating eating disorder that very few people knew about um and I wouldn't even admit out loud so like the only people who quote-unquote knew were people who just suspected um and it was just it was horrible it was horrible I had horrible things said about me again all online and even on so it was on the message boards but then it was like news articles um, I was like addicted to reading, you know, on like news articles, like there's like people can comment on them, like underneath, like I was addicted to like reading those and like, okay, what do people think? What have like, but because my whole life I was trying, I was just craving social approval and I was craving that perfection and the validation of my aggressive race for a profession, perfection. <clears throat> I was just addicted to reading all of this. Um, <clears throat> all of a sudden, when I, you know, had this random attention on TikTok and I'm getting comments that were about 75% positive, but 25% bad, um, either about my physical appearance, about, it was, ma- it was mainly that because like I posted a video of me traveling with no makeup on like I do most of the time I wear makeup one day a month oh if I'm going somewhere um I just don't like doing it anymore and my theory of why I don't like wearing makeup anymore is because I had to for so many years for pageants or crimson nets or baton um that I just like feel I've like overcorrected so much where I just don't I don't know yeah I just like I just don't I don't think we need to like pathologize why I don't wear makeup. I just don't like to anymore. Um, but anyway, I just like had glasses on and my hair was frizzy and like, I don't know, you could see my acne scars and like, I just didn't care. And people like decided to have a heyday with that and tell me that, uh, you don't look like an NFL wife. How did you get like, it's just losers. Right. But all of a sudden it was 2013 again. And I was hiding under the covers and crying and I wasn't actually crying because I was like this is stupid but I'm also 10 years older so I have the kind of context and the filter to know what's going on but it was by definition triggering it was really sad and it really hurt my feelings and honestly the moral of this entire story is that I am treading lightly with the TikTok and I am Honestly, already feel a little bored by it. I don't understand how people do this as a full-time job. 
and I'm not saying that and because it's like, oh my God, this is so hard. And it's like, I, I get people who do it full time. Like they like, yes, it probably becomes hard, but I just think it it's more, it's just like really exhausting and it's an incredibly in your face way to live. I actually heard, I, I'm going to say this really not eloquently, but I heard something like human beings, like we're not supposed to be able to process as much information, like nowhere near as much information as we get in like 60 seconds uh, when we're on our phones. And so it's like, we just have no idea what this is doing to our brain chemistry. And it really, if I think about it too much, I like go to like a weird trippy place and I can't even, like, I don't have the, I literally am too tired to think about that right now, but I just think it's something to consider and or our screen times are all deplorable. And with that, stay tuned for next week because I am probably going to, well, I am going to talk about this more because this is what the entire episode was supposed to be about was the way that social media is influencing the way millennials parent, the way Gen Z will parent, the pros, the cons. Is there a net benefit of all of this? I don't know, but I am interested to explore that. So with that, I am going to wrap it up. I've been talking for way too long about something that I did not intend to talk about. So um, that's it. Thanks for coming. Um, I hope you come back. I think I will too. See you later.